Today, we're going to take a deep cleansing breath and ask this very important question. Are you approaching your college coaching career with the right philosophy? A philosophy that will build you for the long haul, that will prevent burnout and increase your satisfaction with where you are as a college coach. That's the topic today, and we're going to talk to a guest who has over 30 years of college coaching experience, who recently retired, and wants to give you his lessons for what he did right, what he did wrong, so that you can be a better coach. That's coming up today on the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, Donald Trump's hair product supplier and America's college recruiting guru, Dan Tudor. Coach, how are you doing? This is Dan Tudor, and welcome to the show. This is going to be another great episode, and I think it's going to be something that you as a coach are going to appreciate after you listen to it, because so often I hear coaches uh, at the beginning or in the middle of their coaching career talk about the idea that I wish I had somebody at my disposal who could tell me what I'm doing right, what I'm doing wrong, and how to avoid the pitfalls that I see a lot of coaches fall into in their careers. I'm not talking about the X's and O's mistakes or what you should have called in that game or should you call a timeout in this situation. I'm not talking about any of that. What I'm speaking about is the general approach that a college coach and recruiter has to take day in, day out to be successful. Uh, A lot of times, and you have probably experienced this a little bit yourself, you learn by your mistakes. And sometimes there are mistakes that are easy to bounce back from and you do learn from them and move on and and build a better uh, career. And then there are times when the mistakes are, uh, are just really, really tough to overcome. And those are the ones that if you could avoid it ahead of time, uh, it's going to be just a much easier life and a much more fulfilling coaching career. And that sort of was the question that we were trying to answer heading into today's interview with our guest. And we'll get to him in a second. Two quick things that I wanted to bring up to you uh, to talk about very, very quickly. First of all, here we are in the spring of 2017. And uh, a lot of coaches, this is the time where you start to evaluate how things have gone with this past recruiting class and what could have been done differently. And if you're in that situation where you feel like you're just not quite hitting on all cylinders, where there should be a, a better or easier way to approach recruiting and especially the communication side of recruiting, can I just give a little plug for what we do? Uh, we would love to help you on a client basis. And very, very quickly what we do in that situation, and we're, the reason I mention this is that this is the time of year where we get a lot of coaches that start to ask that question and start to search out for better ways to do things. We believe we found a better way, and we use psychology, sales communication, marketing, and, and language that's the basis of what uh, how to impact recruiting. There, there are only so many more tournaments you can scout. There are only... Uh, so much more uh, of your budget that could allow for recruiting. And so a lot of times those aren't the answers. The answers are to take your existing uh, base, your existing funnel, if you want to call it that, of, of available recruits and do more with them. And there are hundreds of programs around the country that have allowed us to step in and help them and show them what they should be doing differently and actually produce a lot of the ideas and, and communication that they would send out to a recruit for them that utilize everything that I'm talking about, Uh, a better way and a better feel for what gets put out in front of a recruit that will actually generate greater response from that recruit. And I can go into more detail with you if you're interested in that. And again, I bring this up because this is the time of year where we start working with a lot of newer clients. And if that's you, uh, we would love the chance to explain what we do and see if it's the right fit. It may not be. But if it is, then it can be a valuable answer for how you approach recruiting. So you can just email me personally, dan at dantutor.com. You can also go to the website and look up Total Recruiting Solution, which is our client program that works well. And uh, I'm I'm so proud of what 
uh, our staff has been able to do for people over the last couple of years, the last 10 plus years in this way that uh, I, we, we, we would love to add the right coach, the right program to that, to that roster. And this is the time of year where we start uh, adding coaches. So if that's you, if you're interested, we would love to talk to you. The second thing that I wanted to bring up was this online training program that we have started for college coaches, which is called Tutor University. And the idea there is that we wanted to provide a solution for coaches who wanted to learn how to be better recruiters, who have never been trained, especially those on the front end of their career, and actually take them through online training with testing and certification that enables them to say, okay, I have been trained to be a recruiter. I know how to communicate. I know what is right and wrong to put in recruiting letters. I know how to conduct phone calls. I know how to organize my time, my staff. And the results uh, from coaches that have gone through it has been, at least from the feedback, has been absolutely uh, amazing. Far more positive than we ever dreamed. And we thank you for those that have gone through it and have left good comments. We really appreciate that because that's that means the world to us. It's probably the most effective and inexpensive way to get quickly trained, but still do it on your time in the comfort of your home, your office, uh, in in all of the advanced techniques that we teach for recruiting. So if you're interested in that, you can also go to dantutor.com, look up Tutor University and get that information. And if you have questions, we'd be glad to answer those as, uh, as well. So two options for you as you head into this time of year. Also in this time of year, we find that coaches begin to reflect back on how this past year went and where they're at in their career and is the program headed in the right direction, which kind of goes to the theme today of are you taking the right philosophical approach for not only your program's development, but who you are as a coach. And to aid us in that is our guest today. And we want to jump right into the conversation because it was a long one. It was wide-ranging. And I think you're going to find it fascinating. If you have time to just sit back and hear his advice, 30-plus years in, in recruiting, and uh, including coaching in the Olympics and coaching some very high-level athletes. Uh, and, and this is a coach, too, that left coaching at one point because of how badly he felt it was going for him personally and what it was doing to him personally, and then came back and approached it the right way. This is somebody that you can learn from. And that's why we have a great deal of excitement in presenting him to you today in this conversation. But it's a long conversation that we had with him, so we want to jump right into it and today's guest. Let me introduce you to Dr. Mike Davenport. And he is just one of the people I, I love about this job that I get to do, which is to meet and be around very, very uh, high-level thinkers, very accomplished people in their sport. And Mike Davenport is that. He was the head coach at Washington College, a Division three school in Maryland, the head rowing coach at the school for 26 years, and recently retired. I say retired, he retired from coaching and uh, his duties at Washington College, but he transitioned that into a new title at U.S. Rowing, at the rowing organization, as Chief of Educational Assets, basically to initiate and further their educational programs to all of their members, which number over 100,000. If you are in rowing in college, uh, Mike Davenport is a name that is familiar to you, and he is well-respected as a thinker, as a coach and as an educator and just a great person overall. I got to know him while he was at Washington College. I had the chance and the opportunity to do work with him and loved every minute of it. In fact, uh, the the thing that I like most about Mike is he wants to share his expertise. And so he did that weekly in our newsletter, our Tuesday newsletter, College Recruiting Weekly. And the uh, you might remember his articles. He was the creator of coaching sports today and just took a very philosophical look at the the job of a coach and the life of a coach and what is the right way to approach it and and so he is a thinker and that's what I've always loved about Mike is that he is somebody who doesn't just take his job and blindly do it he always questions is there a better way to do it what am I doing wrong that I could be doing a different way um, and so I have sort of ceremoniously named him 
the the uh, official th- uh, designated resident thinker for Tudor Collegiate Strategies. And so uh, whether or not he accepts that title, I'm not sure. But he was gracious enough to lend quite a bit of his time the other day to a great conversation that he and I had, wide-ranging about all different facets of of college coaching and what you as a coach that's still involved that are still involved in uh, in the profession on an active daily basis could be or should be doing differently and I think he's going to bring up some things that will cause you to maybe question the way that you do things and have you take a second look but all for the benefit of your career so I want you to take this opportunity if you're still with us and you're still listening to this podcast uh, today I want you to prepare just to sit back and think and take into account everything that Dr. Davenport is is talking about and thinking about and and really take stock of the way that you approach things. So this is supposed to be a reflective time for you and and as we go into several different aspects of coaching and of the way that a coach can approach that life as somebody that is leading student-athletes at the college level. I started the conversation with Mike Davenport with a very simple question. Now that he's been out of coaching and is able to look back on his 35-plus years in the sport and, and as a coach, what was the biggest takeaway, the biggest thing that he learned over that course of time? Yeah, the biggest, the biggest thing I learn, I've learned looking back at coaching, I think is this is that people are people are hungry um, and athletes you know they're they're hungry for something and athletes tend to uh, be hungry for you know performance medals uh, you know the the accolades accolades that go with uh, you know being a winner that type of thing the but the one thing that separates, and this is, I think, the most important thing now that I've moved out from a daily working with athletes to a different venue, is that um, athletes are hungry, but they have a system that helps them satisfy that hunger. And I see a lot of people in the workplace, as I get more and more into a, a different type of workplace, they have a hunger, but their system isn't set up to help them uh, satisfy their hunger. So it's really kind of, you know, athletes are lucky. They've got this structure. They've got a coach mm-hmm. and a program and maybe resources. On the outside, not so much. People that are hungry for success are a lot of times they're kind of stuck on how to get there. And so does that all come down to just the the methodologies of training and the fact that there's a discipline? You wake up if you're a swimmer every day at 5 in the morning and you spend an hour in the pool and or two hours in the pool, and you do that, you know, year after year after year, and that creates that discipline. Is that something that is that sort of what you're referring to? Yeah, discipline's part of it. Um, you know, having somebody holding you accountable is a is another part. Um, but maybe even more important is having a defined uh, path on how to get there. You know, the the Olympian who wants, or the, the person who wants to be the Olympian and get a gold medal or a medal in the Olympics. I mean, that path is pretty much laid out on how to get there. Whether you have the talent, their skills, that's a different story. But but there is a path. You know, you get a coach, you get support, you, you know, go to these events, you qualify, and so forth. On the outside, it's not so clear. Like, how do you become a CEO? How do you uh, design a successful business that makes money? You know, so it's I think it's more a thing of the path is is more clear for athletes and coaches on how to get there. It doesn't mean it's any easier, but it just seems to be more clear. How do you win the Super Bowl? Well, you do this, this, and this. I, I, well, I mean, but if you know, for coaches, as you're saying that, I could hear them asking the assistant coach that's listening to this saying, how do I become a head coach? I know the opportunities there. How do I become a head coach? Or... How do I, if I'm a head coach, how do I create a good program? And because I'm, you know, I don't have one now, or I haven't figured this out. I thought it would be easier to recruit, or I thought it'd be easier to get better assistance, and it's not easy. And so, does that, I mean, how do you answer those questions, or how do you get a an answer or that system that you spoke about if you're a coach in that situation? 
Well, there's two, I think there's two parts to what you just said. Easy and hard, it's, you know, getting where you want to go in terms of sports, it's not any, it's not easier just because there's a path laid out. It, it still can be very, very difficult. It can be hard to get there. It just is clearer in, in those steps. Now, you go back to your example about the assistant coach or even how do you become an assistant coach? But let's say somebody is an assistant coach. That person back the head say, yeah, you know, this has been fine for a year or two, but now I want to be a head coach. How do I do that? That's, you know, it, it, it's, I would say this, in the world of sports, a lot of it is you have to wait to be chosen. Mm. You know, you have to be the person that somebody says, yes, we want you. Now, that's not Boy, all. Now, I'm, I'm going to jump in there because. Yeah, yeah, go. I hear a coach listening to this, or I can picture them listening to that, what you just said, and it seems then so out of their control and so out of their, you know, that, that system that you talked about, because now you're talking about, you know, right place, right time, I'm the right person for the job, and I don't have control over over that. So is that sort of the the premise that you're that you're laying out there is that you know sometimes there are qualified people that never get the right opportunity just again because wrong place wrong time wrong job opportunity and there's others that get it and maybe they weren't the best person but they just sort of luck fell in their lap and the right situation right place right time is that am i am i hearing that correctly yeah not only did you hear that correctly but but you said it very well you said it better than i did you yeah it <laughs> That's why I'm the host. <laughs> Get paid the big bucks. You know, yes, it's like I, I was having a, a, a discussion about the NCAA in terms of in our sport. Um, you know, we're standing at the side of the uh, of, of, of our race course watching some uh, some crews come down, um, and one of the uh, one of the coaches was, was saying, like, you know, there's there's better teams out there that aren't here, and I. You know, I said to him, and he didn't like what I said. I said, the, the the focus on the NCAA is not to find the fastest crew in the country. It, now, this is again my sport. It's to you know do these other things. Um, and I think, in case of in the case of hiring within athletic departments, a lot of times it's not to find the best coach in terms of the person that can take a, a team to the highest level. It's to, find the, it's to find the person that can fit the best within the athletic department and help the structure, if we're talking about institutional higher ed, you know, or talk about a college or university, that can help that institution meet its mission and goal. There are, I'll, I'll tell you what, you know, I, I coached 35 years. There's, I know that there was a lot of coaches out there who were, who were much more skilled than I ever was uh, in terms of making a boat go fast. However, they maybe didn't fit the mold of what the, what the institution, my institution was looking for or other institutions. You know, maybe they just had a different plan or they just, they weren't the right person at the right time. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that goes across or, all businesses. But it definitely happens in coaching, but or, big time. Okay. Or, or is it that the individual that was in charge of hiring happened to like you more just personally than the other coach, even though the other coach may have had uh, you know, a deeper resume at that point? And it's not so much the place, but it does it come, to in, come down to just how individual people treat you or react to you? Well, first, nobody likes me, so that blows, you know, that kind of puts your theory. But, you know, look at it from a coach's standpoint. How do you pick your team? Right. You know, it, it definitely, you know, you can, you can, I don't care what your sport is, whether it's a very number-oriented sport, you know, always you're looking at watches and this, that, or, or if it's more of a, if it's more of a, a score-oriented sport where you don't have maybe a lot of time things that come into for a selection process. You're not looking at the watch as much as, say, in our sport, it's always about the watch and stuff or swimming. Um, you know, the personal issues and factors, way huge in that. It, it, it's, you know, why, why do some kids not pick my school over this other school? Our school is better. Why aren't they coming here? Well, maybe they like the other coach better. I mean, it, the, the, you, can't, you cannot discount the human factor in terms of selection for teams, 
or picking head coaches or the advance or coaches or the advancement of coaches. That's a real big thing. And I, that's one thing that I, I really think that coaches overall, myself included, need to always hold on to this. This is a human service profession and mm -hmm. humans are at the, at the base of every decision, you know, relationships. So number one reason why coaches leave the sport, uh, leave the profession, it's relationship. The number one why, reason why kids quit a team, it's relationships. Uh, you know, so it's, yeah, it all comes down to humans. Right. Absolutely. So this is the dilemma of determinism. Uh, so we, so which, which side do you fall on? Do, if we don't know if our actions are controlled by a causal chain of preceding events or some other external influence like you were just talking about, or if we're truly free agents making of our, our decisions sort of of our own volition. So which, which, which one is that? For me, it's down the middle. I, you know, it, it depends on, you know, I don't think there's any absolutisms in coaching. Um, you know, I, I, I think it, it's very, very situational. Um, you know, how, 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 you, how you, you know, a, a, an athlete comes in with an issue and a problem and you're sitting there looking at this, this person, you're trying to help them navigate the way through, you know, it's like one hand, well, can you go this, this hardcore or the other one, can you be more of a, more of a humanist, you know, the, the human centered coaching or an athlete centered coaching? You know, I, I think it depends on the situation. Um, and I think that's one thing that the coaches that are very, very fixed in their mindset and aren't willing to uh, have some flexibility. Uh, I'm not talking about right or wrong ethics, you know, breaking the law type of thing, but, but how they deal with people. I think the ones that are very fixed sometimes find themselves in points of trouble, uh, mm -hmm. you know, or, or maybe they miss opportunities. But then again, somebody could come back and say, hey, man, you can't be wishy-washy. You know, you got to do this hardcore. Uh, for me, I'm right down in the middle. I think each situation I have found, uh, and I'm saying this about me, I found that each situation, you know, demands a, uh, a different type of response. So for you, you side more on the philosophical leanings of Ferris Bueller, who of course said isms, in my opinion, are not good. Absolutely. A person should not believe in an ism, he should believe in himself. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, now that I, I didn't know that. we were going to talk about Ferris Bueller. I could go with this. That's great. <laughs> Most things in life and recruiting and coaching always revolve back to either Ferris Bueller or Seinfeld. I was going to say I Seinfeld found. too. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay. So, okay, so for recruits, do they have free will in making the decision? Or, in other words, is it completely up to them? Or the decision that they make, is it so influenced by causal situations, who they watched on ESPN, the school they rooted for, the, where, what their parents say behind the scenes, or their club coach? Or does a coach actually have the ability to sway uh, or change a recruit's mind in your, in your experience? Yeah, having having recruited thousand plus athletes, why would it change? Just why why would it change in the recruiting realm compared to any other any other situation that that a, that a human goes through? I I don't think there is, uh, you know, there is an ism here. Yeah, absolutely. The human the human aspect, you know, athletes. And coaches, how they relate, how the athlete relates to the school, the school relates to the athlete. All those things are very important. You know, financial, you know, demographics. All those things that are set are, are of course, way in the decision. You know, GPA and you know criteria uh, that are used for uh, for enrollment. Um, but those are set things. There, there's the There's a big human nature part of it that shouldn't change we, it's in every other part of our life you know let me ask you Dan what type of car do you drive I drive a Ford Explorer okay well why do you why the heck would you drive a Ford Explorer what car did you buy it new uh this this one I did yes yeah so several years ago so was there one thing that prompted you when you went into the car lot to buy that that specific car or to buy a Ford Explorer was there like was it a hard thing? Like, what well, was it? We got the best money deal, or 
you know, or was there a soft, fuzzy thing to it? Like, oh, my brother has one and it's, he loves it. And, or, you know, my dad, or we've always had Ford Explorers right. in their family. What is there? Was, sure. What was it? Oh, uh, well, I think I, I'm probably more practical than anything in that we had at that time a family of five. And so we needed something that would carry all of us and haul our stuff around. And the 0% financing at the time didn't hurt either. Yeah. So it's kind of a little bit of two things there. You sure, know? And sure. I think that plays into so many decisions that, that humans make. But distilling that down to a, a an athlete looking at an institution, committing to that institution, a coach being interested in that athlete, I think the human the human component of it's 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 huge, and a lot of times it gets it gets dis- discounted. So here's what I want to do. I want yeah. to spend the rest of our conversation going through a lot of different sort of philosophical questions that coaches would have, uh, maybe even some that they don't have that I'm just going to throw in there. But uh, what I want is just sort of your take on what, you know, just what your opinion is and as our as our resident philosopher for Tudor Collegiate Strategies and the uh, College Recruiting Weekly podcast. And I just want to kind of run through what... Um, uh, you know, philosophically, what you've seen work, or, or which side of the fence that do uh, you land on, and then just make a quick case for 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 your point. So the first thing, and the audience should know, I haven't pre-screened these with you, so you're going to answer them fresh off the top of your head and with uh, with no warning. So no, the first there's one no I have no net here at all. Okay, no, there is no net. No. Um, so the thing that I will start with is a pretty common sort of philosophical recruiting question that I know a lot of coaches have is, should I over-recruit and protect myself and my program, or should I only offer what I have uh, in terms of either roster spots or money, and if it ends up hurting me because not everybody accepts it and I end up short, then at least I have not uh, promised something to a student-athlete that I couldn't deliver on. Yeah, that's a good one because I, I went through that several years at the college, um, the last probably the last five years, um, and and we we had talked a lot. We being the other coaches had talked about that a lot, um, and my my take on it is you got to you have to do what the as as close to the the truth of the matter is. You have to be honest about it. So, for example, in a flashback to me, you know we. Our class was we wanted to bring in ten. So, well, you know, do I? I remember talking to the uh, the head of admissions. You know, we had the conversation like, well, do I bring in? Do I do I bring in fifteen? And you know, and he said, well, the question you need to ask me is, how often do we have people who um, have deposited not come? And I said, oh, yeah, you know, and so I asked him, he said, just about everybody who deposited comes, a very, very small percentage who didn't. So he said, in this case, it may be wise to, if you only need 10, you know, go 10, go to 11, but be honest with number 11. And I, that was a, he was a really smart guy. And I thought that was a good piece of advice. So yeah. from then on, I was just very honest. And I think that's the thing is, is get information that you can maybe from your admissions office or from your other coaches or from your own staff. And then um, be as honest with the recruits, but also on, as honest with yourself as you can. You know, I always, I always feel bad when I'm sitting at South, or, you know, say some airline and, uh, you know, there's somebody waiting to get on because it was overbooked and, oops, they didn't get on. I was like, boy, that's a difficult spot. I get out why the airlines do it. It's a tough one, but it, that all comes down to money, you know, whether they're right. trying to protect themselves. But in this case, I think you need to be honest. It's, it's, it's when you bring somebody in who doesn't get a chance to either make the team or or have an opportunity to make the team. That's and with the, and they think they are. That's that's tough, and that's something that can hang over your okay. head for quite a while. So, should coaches? Next question: Should yeah. coaches care more about doing the right thing or doing things right? If they only had to pick, if they had to pick one, well, if you do the right thing, then things will be done right. So I, I you know, you have to do the right thing. That that's my, okay, my my thought on it because the other one will then take care of itself. Okay. Well, what is what is the line and the difference between insanity and creativity? Not having a sense of humor. 
Yeah. Does that make you insane or creative? Which one does that, <laughs> does that put you on one, one side? Well, I think if you're... I think if you're creative without a sense of humor, I think the tendency are to, it, can, it can make you nuts. So, um, because if you're if you're creative, how often do we, um, you know, like blow it or, or put stuff out there, you know, if, and it, and it falls flat on its face, you know, whether it's posting on Instagram or or you know, you know coming up with a different workout, you know, oh, I'm going to be creative here, and. You know, there's a percentage of time where it's going to fail and just like, ah, that didn't work. Well, if you can't, you know, if you take yourself too seriously, the pressure will build and build. You'll stop trying things and then it gets, you know, it just as. Fortunately, coaches don't put pressure on themselves. So you nah, don't have to nah, really nah. worry about that. Nah. All comes from uh, their spouses, I guess. That's, <laughs> that's, uh, yeah. That's, we won't, uh, let's that's not true. go there. <laughs> um, moving on. Um, yeah. The. Next question I have is, when does a coach know it's time to not be coaching at that school anymore? Yeah. You know, that's the one thing. I wrote about that a while ago, and I got some real blowback about it. Um, Every coach gets fired. There's not one single coach that has ever... Uh, and by the but, way, for people listening, we'll we'll put a link in the show notes to that article. So if you want to go yeah. back and as you're listening to this, uh, you can uh, we'll put a link in. You can go back and and read uh, Dr. Davenport's piece on that. But continue, yeah, cool. please. Yeah, and, and you know, every every coach does get fired. The person that ends up firing you may be yourself. That's a difficult one. Where you may say, "Hey, it's time for me to leave this institution." Your AD may come in or. You know, whoever your direct supervisor may come in and say it's time for you to leave. It's it's not easy to make those decisions, um, but I would say that a couple things you need to look at: um, room for growth. You know, do you feel like there is room for growth? A, a lot of times, the the next step past coaching is is what? Well, is it athletic director? Well, those are few and far and in between. Um, you know, so. But is there room for growth within the institution, uh, professionally, uh, you know, within your sport? Do you feel like you're getting support from the institution? Do you feel like, and we're talking about college coaches, obviously. Sure, yes. Um, Do you feel that you have uh, an outlet for, uh, you know, for your, for your passion? And, and, The last thing on, well, there's probably others, but to me, the biggest thing is, you know, what's the pressure on you to perform um, at, a, at you know, win win loss. Mm-hmm. You know what's that pressure? Is it is it reasonable or not? I think those are things. Okay, so should a coach? This is interesting. Um, you went down this road. So should a, a coach? Almost every coaching situation, in some way, involves pressure. Either you're the assistant coach, and if you don't do a good job, you might get fired, or you're the head coach, and you don't win enough, you might get fired. Uh, and that could be happening. If somebody's listening to this, this they could be on the edge of that. And so, I guess the question I would have for you is. A coach's attitude in that is that where they amp up the you know their own sort of drive and thought life and say I really got to pour more into this, or is that where they step back and say you know what I just got to be good with whatever happens and I'm gonna I'm going to uh, you know we'll just see where the chips fall. Yeah, you know I've I've seen over the years and and for the last several years before I left the college my. My role was, uh, you know, we call it the high performance director, but I, I got, it gave me a chance to work with all these other coaches. Not that I knew their sports and it wasn't specific to their sport. It was more about the profession. And as I got a chance to work with a lot of coaches and some that were were really trying to, to take it to a new level and were having a hard time getting there, you know, we kept coming back to this. Harder, harder work is not the answer. And, and, but so often that's what that's what coaches do. They they you know w- we had one coach, great guy, uh, was under pressure, and you know it got to the point where he was sleeping in his office, you know all, consistently sleeping in his office. You know two young kids at home and this and that. It's hard work is not the answer. It's 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 smarter work if you if you want to get better. If you've got that pressure on you, like oh my gosh, you know 
we need to win. You know, the AD has told me, or the school has told me, or somebody's told me, we need to perform at this level, and we're not getting there. It's work, it, you know, it's work smarter. It may not be that you need to be there more. Heck, you may need, you may need to be in the office less. You may mm-hmm. actually need to work less, um, but work smarter. Now, it's easy for me to sit here and, and, and say that, but, you know, what does that mean? It's like there's probably some problems that are holding you back from the success that you want to get. And identifying those problems is one of the biggest things. Um, you know, it, it's easy, you know, recruiting-wise, as you say, well, I just don't have the talent. Well, you need to break that down and be very smart about seeing if you can come up with solutions to those things. Again, I, you know, I caution any coach to, that's, that's struggling, and I've been there, to mm-hmm. think that working harder is going to be the solution. I think it's working smarter. That's the solution. Right. Okay. What was the best thing before sliced bread? Boy, that's a you know that, that's a tough one. Um, I, a donuts. <laughs> donuts. You know, yeah, they came first. They aren't now. They aren't now. No, no, no. There's not, not many. You rethink that answer. There's not many sliced bread shops open on a Saturday morning that people flock to. A lot of donut shops. Yeah, Dunkin' Donuts, man. You know. The, yeah. The, yeah, yeah. The sliced bread only came around, I, I guess, in the '30s or the '40s. We've had donuts forever. You know, the Egyptians had donuts. You know, if you go back and look at some of the hieroglyphics, you'll see little little images of donuts out there, um, dunking them in cups of cups of Egyptian tea. <laughs> okay, all right. Sorry. I'll have to. I'll have to. You know, re- you can. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll I'll break out my hieroglyphics book. Yeah. Uh, um, after we're done with the, uh, after we're done with uh, the the podcast, so is it better for a coach to recruit uh, the best athlete he or she can, or the best fit for the team, or maybe for that coach's personality style that he or she can? It's got to be the second. It's got to be the the latter. The, the, you need, you know, I, I very hesitant to say what anybody else should do so i'll reflect this back on me that the the times we had i had the most success with recruiting was the person bringing in the person who fit felt uh, fit sorry fit best with my style and the team and the institution rather than bringing in the athlete who has is you know very talented, high skills, but isn't a good fit because it all comes back to the relationships uh, and that that human component. I think that is such a big part. Um, you know, Ben Ben Lombardo, uh, who's retired, uh, but he's written a lot about the the you know human human centered coaching and such. And I think that's such a big part. Um, I'll send you, you know, I'll send you some information about one of his books if you want to link it in the show notes. Okay, yeah, we will. We'll also link uh, link that. So another uh, philosophical question for our guest, Doctor Mike Davenport. Um, DNA. If you break that down and look at it, and of course we know much more about it now than we did twenty years ago, twenty five years ago. Uh, incredibly complex, incredibly systematic in the way it was. Uh, or the way that it is structured, if it is intelligently designed, what is the implication for mankind? Ouch! Um, you know, my it's a, you know my background's in in oceanography and um, you know science, uh, but not but not biochem. So I'll just you know making something up here. Sure. That works too. We we allow that. Yeah, yeah. Well, th- I mean, that's so often what we do as coaches, anyway. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the, I you know I have <laughs> tried to BS you on this one, Dan. You got me. The whole thing. I was going on the line with DNA. It's like, okay, I can do. I can deal with that. And then you brought in intelligent design, and it was like, oh, it's a big handbrake on the brain. So, <laughs> you, you stumped the chump on that one. <laughs> 
stumped. So you don't have an answer for that. Well, I can make something up, but you know what? It's just going to be made up, and I don't think All it's right. going to be worth the time. Wait to listen to that one. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's that. That's that's good. I well, one one for me. I'm going to mark that down right now. Got one. Okay. Good. Um, so from me back to coaching for a second. Yeah. And recruiting specifically. Um, why do coaches hate to make phone calls? I, you know, because because of what you get on the other end. Um, you know, so it goes I, back to that causal thing. What well, happens on the other end causes a coach to not want to talk on the phone. Yeah, I, you know, with a, I, with I, a recruit. You know, forget the forget the. Um, and I'm sorry, I'm not talking specifically about. About. Maintain, hey, co- maintain your composure. You're the resident philosopher. Yeah. You have to speak calmly, reassuringly, and confidently. Well, okay, okay. Don't get flustered. No, no, no. The, the reason you I don't want to jeopardize this feel, position, yeah, 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 Dr. Davenport. No, it's because I feel so strongly about several things in coaching, but this is one of them. Humans, the yeah, I won't say just Americans, humans, but let's focus on on our audience here. The you sure, know, the sure. North American audience is that. I have seen a uh, significant degradation in communication skills over the years uh, from within the within phone or with phone calls specifically, but certainly with uh, you know one on one in person. I think one reason that a lot of coaches and we had talked about this a while ago. One reason that coaches aren't don't like to make phone calls is because on the other end sometimes, and it's becoming more and more this larger percentage, it's like you're getting people that just don't communicate on phones. I think a lot of kids, you know, they, they have, I won't say all of them, but majority of them have smartphones, but they don't use the phone component. They use all the camera and they use, you know, mm-hmm. the, the digital connections and social. Um, I don't think a lot of them are comfortable on the phone. And then when we get them on the phone, it just, oh, there's so many awkward conversations. Um, it's hard, you know. I think a lot of we were finding as uh, the last couple of years is that, you know, the the recruits were a lot more comfortable digitally responding, right? Um, you know, and that's what Turkle wrote about in her book on um, uh, conversations. Oh gosh, I forget the uh, forget the complete title, um, but it was a really good and what. Had a, well, I guess we won't be linking to that in the show notes. Well, I'll, I'll send it to you. It will, okay, but it, but it's it, you know it's worth a read. Um, and I think she's on YouTube also. But she she came to the school. And we had a chance to sit down and talk with her for a bit. Um, and her thing was that you know this is you know there were some very difficult conversations, not because necessarily the, the content of the conversations, but because a lot more and more people, especially young people, aren't comfortable conversing, especially on the telephone. Um, and so, to to point blank answer your question now with come the, some of that hedging and hawing before that, I don't think coaches like to make conversations or uh, make phone calls because sometimes they're just really awkward um, hmm. on the other end. Right. You know. Right. So if a recruit, actually, I'm gonna I'll switch it around. If a coach uh, trying to be successful, uh, if if he or she ignores the rule, quote, and, you know, ignores the rule, ignore all the rules, are they obeying a rule? Yeah. You know, So they're uh, going against their own advice then? Yeah, which is unfortunate that they're even thinking at that level and that, that just kind of flowing within the situation. You know, and that's one of the interesting things about sports is that really to be a sport you need to have all these functioning rules that are set down right. and you're sure. playing to rules so we think as coaches maybe recruits but we're more coaches we think that people will continue to follow the rules outside of the game they'll follow the rules in terms of recruiting or fundraising or you know doing the budget and all these things um i think that's uh, uh i think if you've been in coaching long enough you'll know that really the place where the rules are followed strictly are in the game itself. All bets are off so many mm. times outside. Um, and so for, I think for as a human to think that people are either going to follow the rules or not follow the rules, I think you're missing out. You just need to, you need to kind of go be flex a lot with it because there'll be times right. when they follow the rules and times and not. 
from, they... from your yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, finish no. your finish your thought. Uh, it's uh, it's finished. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. So I just want to move down my uh, my list of questions that I'm uh, jotting down as we go. Uh, for a, go back to coaching the the coach the, the coaches that you've been around and observed, and you might even apply some of this uh, to to your own career and in, in in looking back. Um, what makes a coach unhappy? What what is the source of most unhappiness that coaches experience in the profession, uh, which of course affects them personally and professionally? Okay, there's a there's a, a humanistic perspective on that, and I think most I won't go to the to the to the Buddhist realm in it, but I think a lot of it is a lot of the unhappiness that that comes within the realm of coaching is when expectations are put upon a coach, whether it's internally or externally, and the support and resources are not there that will allow the coach to meet or get very close to those expectations. And I think that's the, you know, in terms of, we'll, we'll just, and I'm making a little air quotes, I know you can't see them, but in terms of coach suffering. Yeah, how often have you been doing that during the podcast? We just haven't caught it. I've given you some other hand signs. This is the first time I've done the, 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 the air quotes. The air quotes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in terms of you know air quotes, again, coach suffering, I think it's a case where expectations are, are put on a coach and he doesn't or she doesn't have the uh, resources and the support to meet those expectations. So it's an external um, causation of that unhappiness or dissatisfaction. No, not 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 just external. I think it's internal also. You know, the the, the coach who comes in and you know says, "Okay, we are going to win the conference." Well, coach, hey, you know, um, I've been here for years, and I've you know this team has never won more than three games in the conference. Um, you're all, it's always been, uh, nope, this, you know, from now on, we are going to win the conference. You know, that's, that's internal, right? That, mm-hmm. That's, uh, we, I think coaches, so many coaches, we are our hardest critics and we put the biggest expectations on ourselves. And I don't think we're, sometimes we're very realistic on the support and the, uh, um, the resources we have. So I think it goes both ways. I think internally, externally uh, lead to coach, coach suffering. Well, Okay, I want to dive in a little bit because you know we have a lot of coaches that listen that are just positive people, and I've said for years that's why I enjoy working in this field is because you get to be around a lot of positive, motivated people, and that coach that you just described, you know, this year we're going to come in and win the championship, and immediately you know the eye rolls happen, and yeah, but coach, we haven't won it you know for you know X number of years, and da da da, da and these other four teams are better than us, whatever. Um, so are you saying that that is the wrong way for a coach to kind of approach a season? And I asked that just before, and I'll, I'll sort of where my mind immediately went, because I'm sort of a uh, ESPN 30 for 30 junkie, and I like the stories that get told on ESPN uh, in that show. Um, and of course, as we record this, we're in the middle of March Madness. So I'm going to go back to NC State, Jim Valvano, where at the beginning of the season, and there was no reason to think that NC State was going to do anything, you know, special in the ACC, and let alone, you know, the the tournament. Um, and yet, you know, he basically said, "We're we're gonna we're gonna win. We're gonna." And in fact, early in the season, you know, a, a, a regular part of their practice was practicing cutting down the nets. And what what were they gonna do when they cut down the nets? Uh, you know, they practiced it. So. I don't know, you know, how much that willed them to victory, but I'll, I'll, I'll rephrase the question to you: Is that is it wrong for a coach to put the expectation out there uh, in a positive, enthusiastic, "Let's get this way"? I, you know, I, I won't say it's it's wrong or right. I, I, I will say this: that um, the the we're, we are not as good, nor are we as bad as we think we are. We're usually somewhere in the middle. 
that's as humans puts really as coaches. Um, and so in, in terms of, and I, I was, you know, always amazed by uh, NC State and Jim Valvano. I think he was, mm-hmm. you know, an amazing guy, done some great stuff. Um, so often coaches, you know, they'll come out and say, Here, here's what we're going to do, you know, with that kind of positive tone. We are, you know, we are going to win this. And I, I don't think that's a, that's a wrong thing at all. I think where it goes off the tracks is if NC State, for example, had, you know, they were in the Final Four, but they didn't make it to the, to the, to the championship game, you know, would they have been, you know, all those athletes, would it have been a waste of time, a horrible experience? Probably not with him as, as their coach. I think mm-hmm. that's where things go off, though, is having have off the rails. Having a final goal, I think, is great, but you can't miss the journey to get there. The journey is, to me, is the important part, and oftentimes it's more important than the final destination. If you, if you structure the journey, if you structure the season right and positive, and it's building, uh, you know, building these people up and up to the next level and stuff. And a lot of times the outcome will be amazing and it will be maybe even better than if you just came in and said, okay, this is what we're going to do. Sounds like in Valvano's case, you know, he did both. They had a, they had a, they had a great journey. Right. And, you know, it, it ended amazingly. There's been, right. but there's been significantly more coaches that have done very similar things that have not won that big one. And their athletes still walk away like, wow, that was a great experience. I don't think there's a, I think there's, I don't, to go back to your question, Dan, I don't think there's necessarily a right or wrong in terms of picking an end goal. I think there is a right or wrong on how you structure to get there. Hmm. I see too many kids, sorry, too many athletes leave, leave a season or leave their, their career hurt, injured, disgruntled because the expectation on them was so high and they didn't have the support or they didn't have the resources or the leadership to get there. And I think that goes with coaches too. Switching gears, uh, scientists all the time discover new species, new forms of life down at the bottom of the ocean that they didn't know were there and that type of thing. So with that in mind, do you believe that Bigfoot is real? You know, I think Bigfoot is in a, is just an overgrown banana slug. <laughs> That's yeah. I did, hadn't you know, heard that one before. Yeah. Well, there's probably good reason <laughs> that you hadn't heard that before. Yeah. You know, in terms of in terms of Bigfoot and Yetis and the Loch Ness monsters and you know, they're great stories. Whether they whether that creature is in fact you know there um I, it's like i don't really care i just think the stories are cool i think that you know ufos it's like heck if if it, it's a it's a good story and if it's not hurting people and they're engaged with it, it's like what the heck yeah you know it's there you know i like i tell people every once in a while it's like you know i saw elvis just last week and they say yeah really <laughs> you know they kind of look at you straight yeah, like like he was on TV, you know, so I think it's, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, yeah, sure. Bigfoot, I get it. He's there. He's there. Okay, so that's that's a definitive for yeah. Dr. Davenport. Bigfoot exists. Yeah, the tooth um, fairy, no. Bigfoot, yes. You, you, um, you said something, you know, sort of just, you know, in exasperation for my intense questioning. You know, I just don't care. <laughs> I just don't care. Yeah, Bigfoot real, not real, UFOs, not. I just don't care. Stories are cool, but I don't care. When When is it okay not to care about something, aside from UFOs, Bigfoot, and the Tooth Fairy? Yeah, you know, I think it, I think we all have an area that, you know, to, if, if you can imagine for a second an onion and, all these different layers, you know, the the closer you get to the to the center of the onion, is when you really care. And if you, I, I know you cook, you know, but if you slice an onion to prepare, 
the closer you get to the center of that onion is when you start really getting the the um, the vapors, the, the, the you know the the uh, scent of the mm -hmm. onion that makes you cry. You know, it becomes stronger and stronger as you get towards the center. So I think it's the same with people. I think whatever you truly believe in is important to you as you get closer and closer to that. I think that's when you need to care as you get further and further away. I think you, that's when you can not care, you know, if that makes sense. So is it, we yeah. have, we have in, our, in our society, we have people and, you know, certainly on the political side of the aisle, no matter which side that happens to be for the person listening, uh, you have things that you deeply care about that you are upset about or happy about or whatever, and you see the other person on the other side, ah, I just don't care. That's not important to me. And we as a society, no matter what side you're on, we don't seem to handle that very well. It seems that's my, I, my observation in my 50 years of life is that, you know, we can't just for some reason walk away and say, all right, well, my guy won, that's great. Or my person, my, my candidate lost, you know, yeah, well, maybe next time. We don't, you know, there's a growing population on each side that is passionate. And if they win, uh, they don't handle it well. And if they lose, they don't handle it well. Why, why is that? I think that comes down to, to human nature. I think more and more these last, you know, years, I, I don't know how many years, but we've becoming a more polarized society. And because we're finding groups of people, we tend to stay with groups of people that, that think like us, you know, it makes us feel better if we're around these folks, you know, uh, you know, I'm a Pats fan. So I like to hang around Pats fans, you know, mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, I like the, you know, I like the, the chargers or, you know, pick your sport. We tend to, we tend to migrate towards those people. Um, it's, it's, yeah, you know, it is very seldom when we see people that say, especially now, if you were to look at politics, you know, kind of like, hey, you know, that's okay. I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't care, or this will work itself out. They, they tend to back away a little bit from the emotional ups and downs of the situation. But that's, that's how it, that's how it, that's how it used to be. I my, right. I grew up in a family that was uh, not to bring politics, but just as mm -hmm. a point, I grew up in a. We talked about UFOs and Bigfoot. Why not? Yeah, politics? and banana slugs. Right. That's right. right. Well, I grew up in a family that's always been staunch independence, and I can remember my dad taking me my very first presidential election, and we went together. I was eighteen, and we went in, and you know we voted in in. I went to my way, he went his way, we voted, and he got out, and he said, who'd you vote for? And I, at that time, it was John Anderson, the independent candidate. Mm -hmm. and I said, who'd you vote for? And the same guy. And we both said, hey, you know, hey, we're going to lose, but we don't care. You know, and, and it wasn't like... <laughs> so there's back to not caring. Yeah, but it wasn't, but see, that's the thing. It wasn't like we didn't care enough not to go vote. We didn't right. care about the process. It was more like... We've said our piece. We had our opportunity right. to make our vo vote known. And then the will of the masses will say this, and we're like, we're good with it. So I think there's, right. a, there's a big difference between I don't care and we're good with it, or right. we'll make this, or let's, you know, this is compromise and let's all move ahead. I, we're, right. we're to the point right now where there's not enough compromise. And, I, and, I, and I, since I'm on a rant here, just for a sec. I'll sure. say this. The mic is yours. Yeah. I've been to several, you know, a, a lot of athletic events over the years. And what I'm noticing more and more, especially at the college level, and I'm seeing it creep in more into Division Three. I'm seeing it more and more in the high school, is, you know, this really intense polarization in the crowds and how they you know, how they interact with either athletes or officials and, and some of the really demeaning derogatory things that are, are said. It's, 
obviously it's not everybody, but that pool. I know that's a problem at rowing events, but are you seeing it in basketball and football too? Oh my gosh. I went to, I went to, you know, my son plays college football and, and, you know, they're, that was a little bit of a joke. Yeah, yeah, way. yeah. I know, I know. I was going. I was just kind of blown by that one. Because um, <laughs> you didn't care. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I was good with care. it. Yeah, I was good with it. You know, hey, and yada yada yada. Um, yeah, Seinfeld. Um, yep, there you go. Yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> there's just a bigger and bigger core of people that are are more polarized and more willing to let their polarization known, and hopefully the pendulum will swing back where there's more of a consensus of like, hey, they just played a great game. Both teams, hey, great, and then that's it. And not like, oh, my team lost. The world is falling apart. And that type right, of thing. right. Yeah. You know what I think? You, you went into athletics and uh, you know, I sort of started, or we got on the topic, I guess, a little bit of, of well, actually, you brought it up, politics. So what I'll just throw in my observation is mm-hmm. that it seems to me with the 24-hour cable coverage and and you have almost the you know the two sides and it has become so much like a sporting event where it's my team versus your team and whatever my team does I'm going to think that that's okay whatever the other team does that's bad and you can apply that to you know again both sides of the of the political argument, it seems like it is mirroring more and more, even in the coverage that it gets in the media, it mirrors more and more like uh, Sunday afternoon football. And we didn't, you know, again, you know, you didn't used to see that. It was fairly bland reporting and, you know, here's what happened and here are the results. And then you'd go away and that would be, you know, you'd pick it up again in the next four years. And now it's, it is, and I don't know if you agree with that. It just seems like it's more about, you know, it's our team versus their team. Yeah, it, I think we're we're missing a point. I, I don't disagree with what you're saying, but I think we're missing a point. Is that it's impossible to disagree with what I'm saying? I'm uh, completely right. Yeah. Okay. Let me let, let's hold that. Just ask let's, me. I'll tell you. I'll tell you all about. Let's table that for one second. Um, <laughs> right. It's it's it's. I think we're missing a point in terms of what. It, like it's a much bigger team that we're you know it's all in the u.s you know it's like the team is really the country and you know we're 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 so divided on these you know the 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 individual players that we're missing the the real big thing which is you know the success for the the one big team the u.s right uh, or whatever country you live in um and I think that's where maybe we're that's where we're, we're off a little bit. The polarization is there, and you know that's that's human nature. It's so intense right now; it's, it's, it is uncomfortable. But the big picture is we all want the country to be successful. Um, it's like we all want you know it, you know to back it down to sports. You know, the team we want a team to be successful, but oftentimes there's athletes. You know, they're, they're looking more for their own, you know, their own playing time, their own stats or whatever, that they miss the focus on the team. That's why, to go back to a question you asked quite a while ago, is that when I bring, when I was recruiting, I wanted somebody that was very team-focused more so mm-hmm. than individual-focused. Um, so, yeah, I think we're All missing right. so- that right now. I want to bring it back to specifically recruiting and try to you know, wrap up our conversation by asking you two questions. Uh, the first being that, and we kind of touched on this at, at the beginning of the show, um, but I want to redirect the your your answer a little bit. What would what would Mike Davenport thirty five years ago uh, need to hear from Mike Davenport now to be a better coach? Just have fun. Just have fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, I meant just, and then, ha- comma, have right. fun. It's, I, you know, the first five years were really intense. Um, you know, I actually left coaching after my, I, I wrote about that. I actually left right, coaching right. After, after after my fifth year. I was seeing a, 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 a psychiatrist for, I had this twitch in my eye. I couldn't get out the pressure. I, I couldn't get to stop the, you know, the pressure. 
most of it, I would say 95 of it was internal pressure. I put on myself to win, you know, working that, that 75, 80 hour a week, um, and for a sport that most people don't even know exists or a lot of people don't. Um, and it, I would go back and say, listen, man, you know, work hard, but work smart and enjoy the ride. That's what I would say. Have, have fun. Now mm-hmm. I did. I mean, when I came back to rowing and when, you know, I ended up uh, working with a national team for years and going to the Olympics and world championships and all that stuff, um, it was really having, it was all about having fun. I mean, there's a, that was big pressure there to perform, but it was kind of like, Hey, at the end of the day, so, enjoy and smile and have fun. So, so enjoying it, smiling at the end of the day yeah. and having fun did that make you, and would you say, does that make, is that the key to success for every coach? I think in anything. Just, you know, coaches coaches are unique in what we do, but we're no different than any human service professional. You know, we, we work with people, and sometimes it can be very in, intense. Um, so any, you know, police and, and nurses and, and you know, any lawyers or anybody else works with people, it's the same thing. I would say, you know, have, find a level of enjoyment. And when I say fun, I'm going off the more of the academic definition of it, where, where you're into a, you know, you enter a flow state. Um, and those, those are very, very healthy, you know, where, where you're engaged, you forget the time. And, you know, it's really a really self-fulfilling position that you're finding yourself in um i think yeah you gotta if, if you're not having fun as a coach why are you doing it very few of us make make the high-end money you know that's a very small percentage that are really making a lot of us a lot of coaches pay a heavy price to coach and you've got to find the fun <laughs> Coach, that is going to wrap it up for today. I really hope that you got something out of that conversation and learned from Dr. Davenport's experiences as a college coach for 30-plus years. Hopefully, you can find things that you can apply to your coaching life today. That's going to do it for now. We hope that you enjoyed the episode. Join us again here on the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast the next time.